I want to start off uh, our message this morning by reading from a website you guys may be familiar with called the Babylon Bee. Uh, the Babylon Bee, as their website disclaims, is your trusted source for Christian news satire. So just as I read this article, just keep that in mind. Um, but the article reads like this. Albuquerque, New- and just in case that went over some of your head, that means that this is not true, this, this article. <laughs> yeah, just, just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Multiple reports coming out of Free Grace Church Sunday afternoon confirmed that local dad, Kyle Davis is a terrible singer. Daddy really sings bad in church, noted Davis's six-year-old daughter, Anna, after Sunday's service. Loud, too, but mostly bad. I've listened to him singing in church my whole life, and he's still just as awful as ever, confirmed Davis's 12-year-old son, Aaron, adding that it must bug the people sitting around him. He's just shameless. He, he knows he's a horrible singer. He even jokes about it sometimes. But in the church, it's like he doesn't even care. He still just sings loud and proud, and he's always, like, really into it. He really must believe this stuff he's singing. Now, that's satire, so that's making fun of something. But I I wonder if if any of us knows some people like that. Or or maybe you yourself are that loud and proud singer, uh, and and maybe you just really can't sing. Hopefully you know that you can't, or hopefully you don't know that you can't. Um, But, you know, I won't name any names, but... When I read this article, there was, one, there, was a, there was a person that came to mind, a close friend who may or may not be in this room, uh, and that person was also the first person that I ever met that was genuinely tone deaf. Uh, you know, this person loves the Lord, he enthusiastically worships God, and, and proudly and loudly does that, but he just, he just can't do it in tune. Uh, he has absolutely no control over his vocal cords as, in terms of pitch. And, and in a weird way, I, I admire this person. Uh, I mean, the concentration that it takes to block out 600 other voices that are singing the same thing in unison. I mean, it's just, it's just awe-inspiring. Uh, it, in a room this size, there's inevitably just variations of our vocal Ability. We have some classically trained vocalists in here. We have some who have experience singing in their college choirs or their high school choirs or maybe their church choir. Or, or maybe the extent of your vocal training came in a Christmas pageant you did in the third grade. Um, but regardless of your training, I think that the article raises just a couple of questions on the topic of worship and singing. That I think the Lord wants us to consider from his word this morning. Questions like this. Why do Christians sing? Why is singing a part of the corporate gathering of God's people? Whose idea was singing anyway? Is singing something that God expects every Christian to do? Or, Or maybe just the certain experts or the shameless ones. What does singing accomplish? What's its purpose? And if we are to sing, how are we supposed to sing? Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters. And when you get to Colossians, turn to chapter 3. We're going to look here this morning at a passage in the New Testament that speaks explicitly about the role of singing in the gathering of God's people. And as you're turning there, remember what we've been studying over the past several weeks. 
We recently concluded a study in a series called Would You Protest, which was an opportunity we took as a leadership team just to revisit and remember and celebrate the work of God through the Reformation, which is a great move of God that was about 500 years ago in Europe. Uh, it took place through men like Martin Luther and John Calvin, among others. And, and as these men were reading God's word and translating God's word and understanding God's word for themselves, they began to see distortions and discrepancies in what was being taught and practiced in the church. So they began to challenge the church to reconsider some of its practices, uh, reconsider some of God's original design, and reform its practices back to the way God had intended the church to be in the first place. So at the same time, they're, they're translating the Bible into the native language of the churches they're leading so that their congregants could begin to read the Bible on their own for themselves. Uh, they also um, were giving God's word back to his people. <clears throat> the church began to reform itself back into the, what the Bible taught. And so we, we took the month of October and we, we looked, took each week and we looked at the, what's become known as the five solas. Uh, so we looked at sola scriptura, scripture alone. We looked at sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratis, grace alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. And sola deo, soli deo gloria, for God's glory alone. And, and then the, the last couple of weeks, Keith's been showing us that this reformation, this reformation, uh, has created ripples in the church that... Um, are still being felt today, uh, even in the 21st century evangelical church here in America. And one of those categories, one of those ripples of the Reformation that uh, has greatly affected us is actually in the category of music, especially how music was used in the corporate gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day. Because see, prior to the Reformation, congregations didn't, they didn't sing. Singing was done by the priests in the archaic language of Latin. But for the reformers, and particularly Martin Luther, this was another way that the church had placed a dividing wall between God's word and his people. Congregants weren't able to fully participate in the proclamation and celebration of the word of God through song because they didn't know the language. So guys like Luther, they started translating the Bible into German. They began to to take the services and, and construct them in a way that the people could understand what was going on. And this had a massive effect on the corporateness of God's people. I just think that's hard for us to grasp here in the 21st century, like what that would have felt like uh, for a German person who had grown up singing in Latin, but then to now finally be able to sing in his native tongue. They were finally able to proclaim the praise of God, not at a distance with a language that they couldn't understand, but with their own words, in their own language. And they were able to do it with their own people. It was no longer just left up to the experts. It had a profound impact on the Protestant church, and it even impacts us here in our church. Even this morning, as we spent time singing and reciting, Ronald, thank you for leading us in that time of singing. I, I, I don't know that I've ever sat... I'm trying to think if this is true. I don't know if I've ever sat in the back of the room uh, in this building and sang together. Well, that's not true. It's been a long time since I've done that. Uh, but it was just such a sweet time, man, just being able to sing those songs, sing through the gospel, uh, and recite God's word together. That's a, that's a result of the Reformation. That's something that the Reformers gave us. It's a gift that they gave us to be able to sing congregationally. And we enjoy that gift every Sunday. But let's be honest with ourselves. We, like the church in Europe, we have our own way, our own form of meeting together and doing church. 
And like they did, we have the same potential to drift away from God's intention, his original intention for what we're supposed to do when we're together. We've taken bits and pieces from things we've read about in worship, read about worship in scripture or in books. Uh, we've taken our, our own past church experiences, either here at Lakeview or in another church that you've come from or grew up in. We've, we've taken thoughts from some Instagram post that we read yesterday and borrowed an idea from a YouTube video we saw of some church across the country who's really hip and huge. Uh, we you know, we, t- we remember that euphoric feeling we had at a passion concert last year that we just never seemed to be able to, like, replicate again. Uh, and we take all these things, we boil them down into an idea of what we believe it means to be a church that sings. And if we're not careful to take that idea and put it up against God's word, then we run the same risk of ending up in the same predicament as the European church did back in the 1500s. And so that's why we need to always be willing to go back to scripture, to the source, be willing to reform our thoughts to God's thoughts. Uh, and that's hopefully what we're going to be able to do uh, with our time together, looking at God's word this morning. I wanna, want us to go back to the source. I want us to go back to God's word. I want God to speak to us through his word about the priority and purpose of our singing. So we're going to spend most of our time looking at Colossians 3, verse 16. Uh, but before we read just verse 16, I want to put some context there. So we're going to start in verse 12. Uh, just, just to help us kind of get going on what verse 16 is talking about. So let's read Colossians 3, starting verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning aware of our need for you, we just read, we're your chosen ones, God. Lord, you've chosen us to be here this morning. And it's in that reality that we, we can come boldly to you. We can come into your holy presence. We can ask you anything because we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. We come with diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences. We have our own preferences. But God, we come as one body. We come as the church your church, and God, we ask you to help us to humbly consider your word together. Speak to us, Lord, and as you speak to us, fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit who enables us to see and understand your word and therefore to delight and obey your word. So here we are, Lord, speak to us. Have your way. Amen. Before we dive into what Paul is encouraging the Colossian church to consider here in this passage, uh, I think it'd be helpful just to back up a little bit further uh, and get a quick overview of this letter. 
Colossae, Colossae was a small town in what is now known as modern-day Turkey. <clears throat> it was a young church. It was a church uh, that was probably started by a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras was someone that we read in Scripture in some of Paul's letters. Uh, Epaphras, some scholars believe, maybe heard Paul preach the gospel in the church in Ephesus and then went back to his native uh, people in Colossae and, and started a church there. And so there's an Indian indication in the letter or any, anywhere else in scripture that Paul actually visited Colossae. Uh, but you could hear just the care uh, and the interest that Paul takes in strengthening this young church's uh, understanding of the new life that they have in Christ. In chapter 1, Paul tells them that he's praying for them, teaches them about the preeminence of Christ, uh, and teaches, tells them about his own, Paul's own work in advancing the gospel in cities like uh, the city that they were in. In chapter 2, Paul assures them that they are Christ's, that they're alive in Christ now, and he encourages them to stand firm as Christians, uh, stay firm against the doctrinal and the philosophical and the sensual temptations that are going to come against them uh, as a young church from the outside world. And then we get to chapter 3, and we see Paul begin to instruct the Colossians to, to do things like set their minds on the things that are above, and, and put to death, therefore, <clears throat> what is earthly in them. And, and then in verse 12, what we read a, while, a second ago, uh, he says, he gives them this list of virtues, and he says, uh, not only are you supposed to put off things as a Christian, but you're supposed to put some stuff on. So put these things on. And, and so he tells them things like compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. These are the things that we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to have these virtues. And then he gets to verse 16, which is that's the verse we're going to focus our attention on this morning. And, and verse 16 is known as one of those primary teachings on congregational singing. In the New Testament, there, there's another passage in Ephesians 5 uh, that we might look at a little later. Uh, but but let, this verse, 16, I think it explains to us what the role of singing is meant to, to play in our gathering. Let's, let's read verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I'm going to cut this verse up in a couple of different phrases, and we'll, we'll look at each of those phrases. But the, the main idea that I think Paul's trying to get, uh, get at is this. The act of singing, as it's done to God with thankful hearts, is a tool that we use to teach and admonish the gathered body for the purpose of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let me say that again. The act of singing, so when we sing together, as long as it's done to God with thankful hearts, it, it becomes a tool for us as a church to use to teach and admonish one another, the gathered body, for the purpose of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So let's look at this verse. The, the first part of the verse, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does Paul mean by the word of Christ? You know, some theologians have taken that to mean that it's the literal words of Christ, the, the teachings of Christ, literally the words that Jesus has spoken. Uh, but there's another place in Scripture 
where we see Paul use this phrase, word of Christ. And that's in Romans chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. You can take a look at that passage later. But uh, in chapter 10, verse 15 through 17, Paul's making a case there about proclaiming the message of salvation through Christ to an unbelieving world. And he seems to use the phrase, word of Christ, synonymously with two other phrases, with the phrase, uh, good news, and also the phrase, the gospel. So, Many theologians just generally accept that, that what Paul's probably referring to with the word of Christ is that it's just another way of saying the gospel. Like we, we want to sing the gospel, we want the, the gospel to dwell in us richly. The story of Jesus. We want that to be something that's in us. But what does that tell us about the songs that we should sing when we're together? I think what Paul's emphasizing here is that our gatherings, when we gather together as God's church, our songs are to be centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bob Coughlin in his book, True Worshippers, which is an excellent book. I don't know if we have any in the bookstore, but we'll get some. But it's a really good book just about on what it means to be a worshiper. Uh, so in his book, he quotes this guy named Everett Ferguson, uh, who says, Christ is the ground and the content of Christian song. Christians sing about Christ. If they sing about God, it is especially what God has done through Christ. If about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit as the gift of Christ. If about instruction to one another, it is the life in Christ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every song that we need to sing on Sundays has to be specifically about the atonement or has to have the word cross in it or Calvary. I don't think that's what he's saying. I I think that there are many songs out there that are worth us singing. We see, even just in scripture, we see songs of lament. We see songs of confession. We see songs that celebrate the attributes of God. We can look back, if you remember in Exodus 15, a couple of months or probably years ago, we studied through Exodus 15, uh, the song of Moses. Uh, That's not a a song that mentions Jesus Christ specifically. Uh, Exodus, uh, I mean, sorry, in the Psalms, uh, many of the Psalms don't mention the name of Jesus Christ. They allude to it. They have elements of Christ in in the story and and the coming Savior, but they they don't say cross in them. They don't say Calvary. So I don't think what he's saying there is that all of our Psalms have to mention those things. But I do think what Paul is saying is that when Christians gather together, On the Lord's Day, the primary theme ringing through their songs that they sing together is the song of the Savior. Or said another way, Christians never stray from singing the old, old story of how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like us, like me. And so Christians sing. We sing about the Savior when we gather. And it's because it's not, it's not enough sometimes just to read. It's not enough to recite this story. As wonderful as reading and, and as helpful as listening to people tell us about uh, Christ and about his work. Christians were created by God to want, to even need to sing this story. John Piper says, singing is the Christian's way of saying God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling." And talking will not suffice. There must be singing. This really is by God's design. This isn't something Paul's just grabbing out of thin air. Singing's all over the Bible. Just take a quick glance. As early as the fourth chapter of Genesis, we're introduced to a man who creates the harp and the loop. The loop. The flute. (laughs) The lute. 
We saw as we studied uh, in Exodus again that Moses led the people in a song to the Lord to help them remember all that God had done in bringing them to victory out of the land of Egypt. We see music played by musicians as integral parts of the life of the Israelites in the temple, the king's court, even in the armies with one particular occasion where musicians actually led the army into battle and they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. It's in Second Chronicles. There are more than 400 references in the Bible to singing and at least 50 direct commands to sing. Commands like Psalm 149. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Psalms is, in fact, one of the largest books in the Bible. And it's a collection of 150 songs. And we even see in Zephaniah 3.17, God himself sings. He will exult over you with singing, God says. And there's even more evidence than that. God wants his people to sing. He's created singing to help us to proclaim his glory and, and really... There's two things that I think Paul's highlighting in Colossians 3 that, that singing helps us do. Singing helps us to remember, and singing helps us to rejoice. So let's, let's look at those two things. Um, Paul uses two really descriptive words at, in, at the beginning of verse 16. He doesn't just say, remember the gospel. This is what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says we need to let it dwell in us. And, and if this, that isn't strong enough, he says to, that it needs to dwell in us richly. These are words with depth. The word of Christ is not meant to only barely break the surface of our affections and emotions. We need the truth of God's word to settle deep in our minds and deep at the very foundation of our souls. And we want to keep it there. So that when we get to the end of the month, we don't know how we're going to put food on our table. Or when we wake up in the middle of the night with the same terrifying dream that's haunted us for years. Or when we find out that our best friends are moving to another city. When we find out that our spouse has been cheating on us. Or when Satan himself tempts us in our minds to despair. Because we can't seem to shake the guilt we feel for the wrong we've done. A shallow experience of the word of Christ won't cut it, church. We need to look upward and see our Savior there who made an end of all our sin. We sing because we need God's word deep down inside us, protecting us, encouraging us, convicting us, and filling us, our troubled souls, with the hope of Christ. So church, when you come here on Sunday mornings, do you realize the gift that God has given you as we sing together? Are you receiving that gift? Are you letting it benefit you, like Paul says? Are you mouthing through words? Sometimes we can have less enthusiasm for the Savior who ransomed us from hell than we give to our child's Little League baseball team. Listen to Paul. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Take advantage of the opportunity every week to have your soul stirred with incredible truths about God and your standing before him. Don't forfeit that gift. Receive it. Sing. And, and that, that assumes that you're here. <laughs> and, and that assumes that you are in here. <laughs> so let's... let's Let's be a church who's eager to sing. Let's be a church who's eager to let the word of Christ dwell on us richly. 
Paul goes on to say that singing is a way that we teach and admonish one another. Next part of the verse. Sorry, I lost it. Uh, Next part of the verse. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Have you thought about this before? Have you thought about song being something that, that teaches and admonishes you? For example, when we... When we lift our voices in unison on a Sunday and we're singing the third verse of the song, All Creatures of Our God and King. Everybody remember that song? We've, we sing it a lot here at church. It's an old hymn. Um, but these are the lyrics. All the redeemed washed by his blood come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. You know what we're doing when we sing that song together? We're in effect, and and I encourage you to to think about this. Make your mind think about and, and actually do this. We are telling ourselves, we're telling one another the truth of God's word. We're teaching each other. We are admonishing. We are saying to one another, hey, 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 we are redeemed doesn't matter how you feel right now. You are, if you're in Christ, you can come and rejoice right now in his love, in his great love. Whatever you did, you can't undo what Christ has done. You know why? Because Christ has defeated every sin. And guess what? He invites you to cast your burden now on him. So come do that. Go do it right now. Oh, oh and praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him, church. That's what we're doing. We're not just singing. Or maybe you are just singing. But you're definitely not meant to be just singing. Your songs are meant to go vertically to God in worship. And they're meant to go horizontally to one another in encouragement and admonition. And this goes both ways. You, know, you need the people in this room. You need them to teach you and to admonish you as they sing. Because you're going to show up here on Sundays and you're going to have a thousand things on your mind. You're going to have kids screaming that they don't want to go to children's church. You're going to have chores around the house screaming at you to get them done. You're going to have your parents, young guys, uh, screaming at you to pay attention in church. Uh, You're going to have your stomach screaming at you to put food in it. You need the church to be singing truth to your soul more loudly than those other voices. So you can redirect your gaze to the God of peace that rules your heart. But you also need to see yourself as a co-teacher and co-admonisher. The church needs your voice. You have a role to play in this meeting. You're, You're not just a spectator here. We need you. I can get burnt out on all the the football to worship analogy comparisons, you know, I know, I know we hear a lot of those, but, you know, it's really just a really good analogy. Um, I, I got to go to the Saints Redskins game last week, and it was a party in the dome. Um, I hadn't been to a game in like seven years, and Man, it was just, it was just crazy. It, was, it felt like I experienced the game in a whole new way. Um, they've got these gigantic screens, uh, which weren't, I don't remember those being there last time I went there, but they're these gigantic screens, and, and every now and then they'll put these digital video cutouts of the players, uh, so you'll see like Cam Jordan, uh, Cam Jordan, 
Is that right? Is that the right name? Yeah, Cam Short. Uh, he'll, he'll be up there and he'll, he'll be doing like, hey, come on, come on, go. He'll be like doing like this and uh, these big videos. And they're overlaid them over the scoreboard. And so, but they're like these huge men up on the, the Superdome walls and they're like teaching and admonishing all the spectators about what they need to do and how they need to get loud in the, the dome. And, you know, whenever there's, there's, this, there's a, a sack or there's a, a forced error that's made because it's so loud and the, and the quarterback couldn't communicate with his team, um, <laughs> there's, this, there's the fans. that They get award, rewarded with this graphic that pops up that says, Fan Impact Play. And, and they go crazy when, when that happens. It's like, yes, we, we had an impact on the outcome of the game. And, you know, of course, it's just like a crazy roar. And yeah, it's like all these people, they just felt like they actually did something. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think that we can learn something from this. That's what I want to see happening here on Sundays. Fan impact, please. It's not only the responsibility of the worship team to lead the church into exuberant, passionate worship and singing. You could start those babies right from your seat. And you should. If we get to the end of the song and there's some space that's left to wait on the Lord, what usually happens, you, you know this, you're, you're here with me on Sundays, you, you know, two and a half people, those loud and proud and shameless ones, they're the ones that are saying something in those times. What if more of us were engaged in that moment? What if you let a song spontaneously well up out of the depths of your soul? Or what if you lifted a shout to God to tell him how worthy he is? Or what if you began to pray out loud and ask the Lord to give you a prophetic impression that he might want to share with the church? And what if that was the very thing that encouraged those around you? To begin to do the same. And then the Spirit of God begins to move in this place. And then before we know it, our entire church is crying out in passionate praise to God. Fan impact play. It takes each of us. I wonder what times of ministry we are missing out on. Because we haven't taken seriously the responsibility to teach and admonish one another in song. I know of people in this room who who've walked through really difficult seasons, very confusing ones, ones where, where they can't tell what's up and what's down. They can't tell right from wrong. They can't tell what's true about God. And they've told me that what's sustained them through those seasons are lyrics from songs that we sing as a church. Lines like, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Or lines like, never once did we ever walk alone. You are faithful, God. Oh God, you are faithful. Or even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You're working for our good. These are lines of songs that we sing here on Sunday mornings. But don't, don't hear something I'm not saying. Remember, it's the, it's the wisdom of the word of Christ that's meant to dwell in us. It's not necessarily... There's not power in, in the songs. The power's in God's word. Songs are just a tool that helps us uh, to, to love God's word, to remember God's word, and to rejoice in God's word. So when I'm selecting songs for us to sing on Sunday morning, I'm looking for songs that accurately and faithfully represent the wisdom of God's word. Because there are folks in this room that need that wisdom. They don't need to sing fluff and emotional filler. 
Life's painfully difficult for them right now. Their faith tank is just about empty. And they need to be reminded where to put their hope. They need us to sing to them and for them. To let the words of God wash over their weary hearts. They could stand in our midst and look around at the faces of the collective voice of the church as it sings of the wisdom and sufficiency and sovereignty of God. And the effect is they're built up and encouraged and the word of Christ dwells in them richly. So Paul Paul tells us, church, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Paul goes on to say that we're to sing psalms and hymns And spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. There's been some debate about what Paul actually means by this list. Some commentators take that list to be, you know, kind of talking about the authorship of the song. So, you know, maybe maybe that's meaning scripture and songs that man has written and maybe spontaneous songs. Uh, some people say maybe, maybe it's more about the history of when the song was written. So, you know, the psalms are like the timeless ones. The hymns are more the modern day ones. And the spiritual songs are the ones that are yet to be written. Um, or, or some people think it's maybe the style or the type of song. So we got, you know, the psalms maybe are more like the prayers uh, the hymns are more the, the teaching songs, uh, and the spiritual songs are more those prophetic songs. Uh, but whatever Paul means, it's just unclear, but whatever he means, we can be sure that what Paul is saying is that there's meant to be variety in the songs that we sing. I, I care very much about what songs we sing here at the church, and if you've attended here for any length of time, you know, and, and maybe this is a source of irritation for you, that we don't do many songs uh, that are hot off the press. Uh, so to speak. And maybe, maybe that's, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe that's irritating to you that we don't do that. But, you know, you got other people in the room who are irritated by the fact that we don't do songs that we used to do here as a church. <laughs> so both of you are irritated. <laughs> we have 52 Sundays in a year. We do about four songs on a Sunday when we're gathered together. Five if Keith will let us do one at the end of a message. That's only just about over 200 songs that we get to sing together as a church on Sunday mornings. It's not a lot of options, not a lot of space for us to put songs in there. So I want to make sure each one counts. I want to find and give us songs to sing that set the truth of God's word to a melody that's accessible and beautiful and memorable. So you will still want to learn it and be familiar with it and sing it wholeheartedly. I, I want the songs that we sing on Sundays to serve you. On Mondays and Tuesdays and other days of the week. And I want them to be songs that, like I heard someone say once before, I want them to be songs that take you all the way to glory. That you can sing on your deathbed. I'm just aware of, of how much more difficult it is these days to have a variety of songs that we know as a church. And that's because it's more difficult for us to learn songs because we aren't singing together as often as we used to. It used to be that the church gathered to sing, and they sang on Sunday mornings, they sang on Sunday evenings, they sang on Wednesday nights, and maybe they sang on some other part of the week. Uh, so they were able to sing 12 to 15 songs together every week. <clears throat> Nowadays, like I said, we're singing four, maybe five a week. So there just aren't as many opportunities as we've had in the past to sing together. And you add to that the worship music industry, whatever kind of phrase that is, it's cranking out so many songs these days that no one can possibly listen to all of them. 
I mean, I, I get folks who, uh, who share songs with me on a regular basis, and they're asking us to consider singing them here at the church. And, you know, I always welcome and appreciate uh, you guys doing that. I, I want to hear songs that are affecting you as a church member. As long as you just know that me listening doesn't always equate to us doing, uh, then we're, we're good. But we just, we just don't sing as much in the church these days, and so it's something that we as a leadership team are aware of and are considering how to strengthen that in the future. It's just apparent we can't rely on Sunday mornings uh, to be enough, a sufficient time slot enough to learn these songs that we're singing. We, I think what that means is that we each have to take initiative ourselves uh, to learn these songs outside of Sunday morning so that when we come inside the church on Sunday morning, we can sing and participate. So uh, I just want to make, yourself, make, make you guys aware of some of the ways that you can be doing that. Um, and, and like I said, we're trying to grow in this area. Uh, I think it's something that we can serve you guys better in. But there are a couple of ways uh, that you can right now start to, to get uh, more familiar with the songs that we're doing uh, here at LCC. If you go on our website, lakeviewchristiancenter.com slash music, uh, I've got an embedded Spotify playlist that's there and it's got... 35, 40 songs on it of the songs that we do here on a regular basis at church or maybe a couple that, that I'm thinking that we might do in the future. Uh, so that's, that's a way. You can get that Spotify playlist. Get a free Spotify account. Uh, go, go get that playlist and you can have that playing in your car or playing uh, in your home or, or at, at your work or when you're working out. You can be listening to the songs that we're singing here on Sundays. Uh, also on that same page, there's uh, a link near the bottom, uh, a section called Songs for Sunday. And I'm doing my best to put the names and the artists of the authors of the songs that we're singing each week on that page uh, so that you can get the names of the songs, you can see who's written them, you can go look them up on your own, you can uh, look them up in Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon. Uh, and, and if you didn't understand what I just talked about there, then just email me and I can, I can help you figure out how to get access to them. Um, <laughs> And, and one more practical thing, something that I'm, I'm trying to put together, some plans for 2018, um, just how we can syst- more systematically sing through songs and learn songs together. Um, but, but don't wait. You can, you can today, you can this afternoon, go home and figure out, how can I listen to those songs that we do as a church? And remember, that's not just so, um, the, the point of doing that would be so that you can come in here and be, be able to participate with us. It's important to pay attention to how Paul concludes this passage. So what he says, he says that we're to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness. So this is is getting at the way that we're to sing. Every church is going to have a stylistic center and every church is going to have some of its members who aren't in the majority that's obvious. Because that means at some point, we're going to be singing a song that is not your preference. We're going to be doing a song that's in a style that you just, just doesn't make sense to you. Uh, we're going to be doing a song that you never heard before. Or we're not going to be doing songs that you wish we were doing. So at some point, your preferences are going to come in conflict with the songs that we're doing together as a Sunday, uh, on Sundays. I know that's a real experience for several maybe many of you in here at any point in time. If you grew up in a different musical church culture or style or with a different database of songs than what is normal here at LCC, I I realize singing can be difficult for you on Sundays. It can be a challenge. 
When what you want to do is you want to do all that we've talked about. You want to engage. You want to fan impact play. You want to, you want to be a part of the singing of God's people. Uh, but it's just difficult. But when you can attempt to sing anyway, because you can open your eyes, you can read the words that are up on the screen, and you can believe their content in your heart, I just want you to know you're pleasing God and you are serving those around you. So, so thank you for doing that. If you're an older believer here and you know, we don't sing the songs that you grew up singing, but you come faithfully every week and you read the words and you do your best to add your voice to the songs we sing to God, thank you for doing that. If you're a young person here and you just wish we'd do a song written in this century, for goodness sake, <laughs> but you don't let that keep you from participating joyfully and with thankfulness in your hearts. You are obeying God's word. Thank you for doing that. Because what each of you are doing in those moments is you are teaching and admonishing. By singing songs that are not your preference, you are saying to the rest of us that God is more worthy than you getting your way. You're saying that others are more important than yourselves. Thank you for deferring for the sake of serving others who might be receiving ministry from the very song you don't prefer. And, and pray for us as a team. I mean, I, I want us to grow in our, our musical diversity, in our stylistic diversity, in the, the kinds of songs that we're singing, not just the, the sound of them, but the kinds of songs. I want us to have better lament songs and better confession songs and better celebration songs. So pray for us that we find these songs and that we, uh, with God's help, uh, discern how to best use them. And, and may, hey, maybe, maybe you can... Do a fan impact play and come talk to me after the service and let me know you'd love to serve. And maybe there's a way that you can contribute to, uh, to how we are singing on Sundays. But Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do it with thankfulness. And sing to God. Do it to God himself. This is who we sing to. He's forever worthy of our attention and affection and praise and worship and adoration and exaltation. So let's, let's stand. So we've just considered God's word this morning. How'd you do? Where do you need to reform? Where do you need reformation in your own posture toward the singing? I, I did want to say this. Uh, I, was, I was grateful for uh, what I observed this morning in the church. You didn't know we were going to be talking about this. You, you didn't know that I was going to be instructing you in the ways that I just did. Uh, but I walked in this morning and I saw many of you doing exactly what uh, I'm exhorting us to do and Paul's exhorting us to do. So thank you for doing that. But I just think it's good for us to ask the Lord to help us see where, where are we deficient. So just got a couple of questions as we're going to bow our heads and just spend some time with the Lord. just want to ask you these questions for you to ponder in your own heart. Do you come postured 
with thankfulness on Sundays? Do you come eager to dwell upon the truth of God? To drink richly from his well of wisdom and worth? Or do you come half-hearted, half-prepared, half-awake, half-on-time? Is the corporate singing of God worth it to you? Or is it negotiable? Do you sing with others in mind? Are you eager to teach and admonish your fellow worshipers? Are those who sit around you compelled by your example to sing praise to God? Do you engage your whole body as you sing? Do you lift your hands? Do you raise your voices? Do you clap? Do you dance? Do you bow? How are you doing with the variety in our songs? Or the lack of variety, in your opinion, in our songs? How does that affect your participation in worship to the Lord? Let's take a few moments just to think about that. And as we're thinking, if there's, if there's repentance that needs to happen, if the Lord is leading you to, to repent in your posture toward how we sing, then do that. If this message has been for you just a, a, an affirmation of all that your heart has been doing, thank God for that. thank you for the gift of song Lord and we want to employ this gift Lord we want to use it Lord we don't want to to waste it Lord we want our voices to be unified together Lord we want to sing your truth we want your word to dwell richly in us Lord we want to prefer one another as we worship you God Lord we want our praise to rise to you Lord, so as we put into practice what we've heard preached, Lord, we receive our praise. Be worshipped, O oh God, we pray. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia.
behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. Thank you for the hope that you've given to us. Thank you for the gift of song. It helps us not only remember this hope, but rejoice in this hope. Lord, may we be a church that takes advantage week after week to greater and greater benefit to our souls. Lord, of singing the word of Christ until it dwells deeply and richly in us. For your glory alone, God, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.